Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, Neighbours really needs good friends now as the show faces the axe. So, is there any chance of it being saved? Channel 9 pays $2 million for a tell-all interview, but was it worth it? And who will become the new Laurie Oaks? Big changes are coming to political coverage in Canberra. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box is about to start. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. And hello, welcome to the second edition of TV Black Box for 2022. And I promise you, we'll make sure you get extra hits of intro music throughout the show. <laughs> Aaron Ryan is beaming in from Perth. Hello, Aaron. Hello, gorgeous people. And it's so great to have normal TV back on. That was a, uh, a little throwback to last week where we had a few technical issues, Aaron, through the show where some music popped up. Hopefully we've rectified those this week. I thought it was intentional. It was great. A little <laughs> bit of music coming up there. Beautiful. <laughs> Indeed, indeed it was. Sarah Monaghan is in some part of the world. I believe it's Yeehaw, Texas. It is in Texas. It's 3 a.m. and I had my COVID booster exactly 12 hours ago. So let's see how well this goes. That's her dedication to this podcast, people. And we've got a very special guest tonight joining us for the first time. I really think anyone who listens to this podcast knows this man, or at least knows of him. Philip Kosh, welcome to TV Black Box. Hey Rob, how are you going? Good, thank you. Can we talk about your illustrious career? For those who've been living under a rock in the media world and don't know you, tell me about your history. Uh, Well, I started on a tiny little country town newspaper about a million years ago. And then uh, I worked at the Sunday Telegraph for almost 20 years uh, in various roles. I set up the National TV Guide for News Limited, which was an interesting proposition, reporting to, I think, six newspaper editors each week because <laughs> one wasn't enough. Um, and then I made the uh, went to the dark side and joined New Idea, and then I spent about 10 or 12 years at Woman's Day as um, their editor-at-large. And that's why I say anyone who... Uh, especially on air and producers and PR people definitely know you. You've written a lot of stories for Women's Day, a lot of the celebrity pieces. You certainly know the world of television. So that's why this is such a great fit. I, you are freelancing now, but you've still got your fingers in so many pies. And you know where all the bodies are buried. So <laughs> welcome to TV Black Box. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. I, I don't know about the bodies, but yes, perhaps. <laughs> 
I think you do. All right, let's get into it. Because it could be the end of an era as UK broadcaster Channel 5 confirmed reports it will stop airing Neighbours from August of this year. Production of the long-running soap has relied financially on the deal between Fremantle and Channel 5. And unless another UK broadcaster steps up, Ramsey Street will be closed. Sarah, Neighbours is the longest-running Australian drama. It's a real shame, isn't it? They really fucked up by not also, like, really grabbing the Australian audience. Like, Home and Away still is very much an Australian show for Australian people as much as it is for the UK. Mm. Whereas Neighbours, it's like they just did not care. It was, we're getting all the money from the UK, we'll show it over there. Let's not market it here, let's not cross you know our our talent over to other shows like i see where they fail because they've really put all their eggs into a foreign basket and if they suddenly decide they don't care anymore then they're out so either they need to step it up and make it part of the australian production for australian audiences again or they really are all out of jobs aaron um i don't see how Fremantle are going to save this show. We know that 10 puts a minimal amount of money into Neighbours. As Sarah alluded to, the bigger part of the budget came from Channel 5, who did a huge deal, I think it was in 2008, to get Neighbours off the BBC. Uh, I've got to say, I felt the writing was on the wall last July when the show was bumped from its traditional 5.30 slot uh, can you see it surviving? Oh, look, it's hard. It, um, there's all sorts of media reports out there. Maybe ITV will step in. Uh, that looks like a, it may happen. I don't know. But it's really hard, isn't it? Because on one hand, it is a, an, an iconic Australian show. It's almost part of our DNA and it's part of Australian culture and it should be ch- cherished. And I guess looked at more than just ratings performance. I mean, Australian drama is dying before our eyes, so it'd be, it'll be a great loss to our industry in terms of drama, in terms of employment for the actors and crew. But then there's the other hand, isn't there? And we do have to look at its current performance and relevancy in 2022 when it's, you know, around the 100,000 K mark and it's, um, you know, and it's on a multi-channel and it's understandably why Viacom and CBS will not financially back it without somebody else. So... I don't know. I'm sad because I used to watch it when I was younger. It just seems less relevant these days, but it's, it'd be sad to see an Australian drama die. But, but Philip, we have to be honest, Channel 10 are bit players in this deal. The simple fact is, if Channel 10 pulled out, Neighbours could probably still survive with the Channel 5 money. They might have to adjust budgets, get rid of a few key characters, reduce costs, but the show could still survive. The fact is, 10 were not contributing that much to the budget. I I think the show became like the poor cousin at Channel 10. You know, when did you last read a a decent story about a Neighbours star in a glossy magazine? It just doesn't really happen. And I know from working in them that they, they, they... they just weren't on the radar, you know. They weren't they weren't seen as saleable personalities, and I don't think that's really the fault of the actors. I, I think it's been very poorly um, publicised. And if you look at the heyday in the UK, when almost six million people were watching it every day, there were daily stories about your Jasons and your Kylies, and you know, it was it was a show that people were fascinated by because the characters and the actors were larger than life, but. That was a long time ago, and I think I think it's now caught between the fact that it's 
it's a bit player for the Australian market and, and had that chunk of UK money. Uh, but equally, I wouldn't write it off. I, I read something today uh, from uh, Michael uh, Michael Grade, who used to run the BBC and uh, a few other channels. Um, he is very confident it will be picked up by a UK channel. Very confident. Well... I, I tell you what, that will make me reevaluate things because Michael Gray, you know, was the controller of BBC back in the day. Certainly was the man who axed Doctor Who just quietly back oh, in '86, uh, okay. I think it was. Um, uh, so that's interesting. Mm. That is interesting. To me, though, the finances have to make it work, and so if the finances don't work for a UK broadcaster. I know everyone's talking about 1.5 million a day, which when you add in consolidated figures is probably right. But when I took a look at the figures when Channel 5 were looking to bump it, it was only doing about 350,000 in the 5.30 slot, which you make sense that Channel 5 wanted to do their news. It's cheaper and news draws figures. You know, it's not relying on storylines and, and all that kind of stuff. But, Philip, to go back to your point, uh, obviously, in the Kylie and Jason days, Neighbours got a lot of publicity here. Do you think it sort of became the dead donkey when 10 put it over to the multi-channel? I, I think I think you automatically lose audience when you do that. Do you know what I mean? People get people like simple. And once you've got multi-channel... It's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of, it messes with your head a little bit. You know, you've got to actually think about watching it. Whereas I mm. think for a lot of people it was just part of the furniture and then suddenly it wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think people switch channel, multi, you know, play with the multi-channels as much as they should. You know, you read about channel 10, 7, 9, ABC, and I think the vast bulk of the audience sticks with that unless unless there's a, an appeal to skip channels or to look at something I think the biggest problem with Neighbours is how do you reinvigorate it? You know, you, you you either watched it for your whole life, it's hard to see new viewers coming to it, and I think that would take a lot of money and it would need a lot a big publicity machine in the UK to do that. Yeah. Well, while we're talking drama, a new report from Screen Producers Australia has shown the impact on Australian content when regulations and quotas are removed. 2020 saw requirements for Australian drama, documentary and children's content on commercial free-to-air television slashed and a sharp drop in investment followed. Investment in Australian drama halved from $107 million to $54 million. And there is particular concern for children's content going forward, which has no minimum requirements requirement under the new regulatory framework. When looking at animated titles, this report showed commissions were down 75%, hours down 77%, budgets down 66%, and spend down by 52%. Okay, the simple fact is, when you take quotas away, Philip, of course, networks are only going to have to do what they have to unless there's money to be made. We see with Neighbours, there's not really money to be made. Are there any surprises that you drop quotas? Production drops. Zero surprise. Zero surprise. Because that, <laughs> that was the payoff. Back in the day, as you well know, free to air networks were minting money. So they didn't mind flushing whatever it was, 10 or $20 million away, but they could afford to. That's not the case today. That They're not making that sort of money anymore. Uh, so take away the quotas and... They're, they're, they're a business model. So who supports a, a losing business? You know, that it, I, I don't think their board of directors would let them do that. Uh, 
you know, but I, I, I also think the pandemic would have played a bit of a role in the drop in drama in particular. You know, as you know, it got more and more difficult to film things. I think that definitely has had an impact, which has skewed the figures a little bit. But, I, look, I don't know what the answer is. We're all watching drama on streaming services, so why can't we make Australian drama that people want to watch? I don't think we're telling the right stories. We're stuck in a... We're stuck in an idea of what Australian drama has to be. Whereas you look at UK and US drama, which are most influential over us, and you see a variety. Yes, you've got some dramas set at a home. This is us, you know. But you've also got fantasy stories or high uh, concept stories like uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Um, there's no one genre, whereas in Australia, Aaron, it feels like we are one-trick ponies. Yeah, I agree in terms of Australian drama. Um, it's just the quality of it, quite frankly. Um, and, you know, the, the networks say, well, this didn't rate very well, so we're not going to make it again. But they're not looking in terms of the quality. But I did want to say, though, in terms of, of the children's um, content... I'm kind of the opposite. I don't see why commercial stations have to invest in expensive children's content that rates only just above zero when the ABC provides such an excellent service yes. to the Australian viewer. And parents just trust and love the ABC. They can watch their, their programs without commercials. And why should 7, 9 and 10 be burdened with, with hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars on, on children's content that they're not watching? I agree with you, Aaron. I don't think there's a place for quotas on, co uh, on children's content on the free-to-air networks. It gets buried at 6am or on multi-channels. And the fact is, as a parent, it's not where I would send my kids anyway. If I wanted my kids to watch TV, I would go to a trusted source like ABC Kids, where yeah. I know there's no commercials. They're not going to be wanting the latest, greatest toys, having them thrust down their throat. Yeah. And it's a safe space with good content. I genuinely think there should be an allocation of funds for the ABC to continue making children's content, but it's not something the free-to-airs need to be doing. And, Sarah, you have been watching a lot of Australian content over in America with your parents and your husband. Um, how does Australian drama stack up with the American stuff, or do, do you and your family watch it for its quirkiness? So I was uh, outside and I walked in and... I immediately heard birds and I looked up and I'm like, are you guys watching an Australian show? And <laughs> because this, the, the B track is very, very distinctive. Like it's like when, mm. you know, Mock has the window open and I can hear the birds. Mm. Um, and so, and then I heard the accent and they were watching big sky from like, 97 um but it was on prime here on like amazon prime and it i was watching it just fascinated because it was like gary sweet you know back in the heyday and um it was it was funny because it's like the few shows that aren't a, a set in like you know somebody's street in australia or their house were all on airplanes so you had big spy big spy you have uh, rfds like royal flying doctors like there's all these shows about helicopters and airplanes and i'm like who had that budget to be just flying around in airplanes you know making these tv shows and they sell well overseas because you get to see this the beauty of the australian continent but they're obviously sold for a foreign market and 
the storyline was just crap, like of the episode <laughs> that I watched. But the old people liked it. To answer your question on how did they afford it, I refer you back to Philip's earlier point of television in the 80s was like a, a mint. You printed money. You know, they, they, they were... They weren't paying the actors. They were, making a, <laughs> they were making a lot of money. The producer was making a lot of money. None of the actors were making any money. True. Chris Ullman, Nine's chief political editor, has revealed to The Australian that he is likely to retire at the end of the year. He said that his contract runs out and at this point he doesn't plan to go beyond that, saying that it's time to give someone else a crack. Aaron, these are big shoes to fill. This was the man that took over from Laurie Oakes. Yeah, I mean, Chris Ullman's had a distinguished career at the ABC and then on Nine he took over from Laurie Oakes, as you said. Who could possibly replace him? Chris O'Keefe. And if you go back in the TV Black Box archives in 2019, I actually did a story saying that Chris O'Keefe will be the person built up to replace Chris Ullman. So if you want to know, just go back to years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, yeah. But... The only thing that will stop that from happening, because he went to Canberra then came back to Sydney, he has been kicking goals on radio on 2GB. Uh, he filled in on the drive slot over summer, and seriously, the guy was a natural. So Nine will now have a very big decision. Do they put him on radio and lose him from TV, or do they give him this gig? Because outside of him... I must be honest, I can't really think of someone in that Chris Ullman, Laurie Oaks role, Philip, that has that gravitas, has that punch about him. Chris O'Keefe's a fighter and uh, he certainly knows how to get a story. I, I do like watching Chris O'Keefe. I think he, he, he comes across with authority on TV, but equally I agree with you, Chris Ullman is... Um, you know, he's amazing. I, I actually didn't think he'd work on Channel 9 shifting from the ABC. And I was a little bit sad when that happened, thinking, oh, this is going to be awkward and weird. And now he took to it like a duck to water. He got more, he became a lot more opinionated. And I think we got to learn a little bit more about Chris Ullman. But I think he's also a bit uncomfortable with the, the, yeah. the political landscape. You know, I think it was very apparent with the Christian Porter scandal. I think he made it quite clear that he was uncomfortable with some of the commentary around that. You know, I think it's a bit like losing your really, really smart dad, you know, like you trust him and you know he's going to tell you his truth and I, I, there's just no bullshit about Chris Ullman, you know? I 100% agree. And it's interesting what you say about his take on what, politics is at the moment and he's certainly been vocal that he doesn't like journalists becoming the story and to me that was a commentary on people like uh, Peter Van Onselen who you know stands up at the press club and tells the Prime Minister that he's got texts <laughs> calling him a psycho and all those kind of things that certainly wouldn't be Ullman's style but if we go back a generation it was sort of Laurie Oakes' style this was the man who had the budget. Uh, John Howard calls him the budget burglar. He had the budget and read it out on air the night before the budget was being delivered. And I could be wrong on this one. I feel like it might have been Laurie who broke the story about Cheryl Curnow and Chris Evans being an item when she was with the de at the Democrats or 
Uh, she might have moved to Labor by then, sorry. But those two being an item. So Laurie was certainly that very um, uh, personable reporter. And, and even before him, um, or with him, Peter Harvey. You know, we had the whole Peter Harvey, come <laughs> You know, um, and, and God rest his soul, because I love halves. But it's not a new thing for journalists especially in Canberra, to be part of the story? Uh, no, it's not. And, and, you know, you can go back to Willisie and go, go to so many oh, of yeah. the, the old legends. And, and they were such big personalities. They were automatically part of the story. Uh, but I don't think I don't think Chris would ever be comfortable with that, and I think no, he's made he's made that very clear. But, you know, I, I, the guy says he wants to retire. I hope he doesn't. I'd love to see him having his own show, you know. I, I think he could be brilliant in a completely different forum. Uh, he certainly would be a huge asset to 60 Minutes. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of options. And, of course, you, you touched on radio. We all know they can make far, far greater income on radio now than they can on TV. So I wouldn't. I would, certainly wouldn't strike him out. And I have no idea who they're going to replace him with because they are really huge shoes to fill. They are. Although, if he wants to go to commercial radio, he needs a bit of more opinion about him, and he's <laughs> shown a bit of that, and we've gotten to know him, but uh, he probably needs a little bit more bite. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Andy Lee has confirmed rumours that in 2019 he was approached about stepping in as co-host on the Today Show, which at the time, you will remember, was struggling in the ratings with Georgie Gardner and Deb Knight hosting. He spoke with Andrew Bucklow on the news.com.au podcast, I've Got News For You. Another true or false question. Back in 2019, were you asked if you were interested in trying out to be one of the co-hosts on the Today Show on Channel 9? Uh, I think that there's been a bad chat about that before, whether I'd be interested in, um, in, in looking at that. But, yeah, the fact that um, getting up that early, <laughs> I mean, it's the same reason um, that uh, Hamish and I wouldn't do breakfast radio. <laughs> the idea of getting up early uh, didn't float my boat. But that kind of stuff happens all the time with, uh, with different shows across all networks. People sound around to see whether you might be interested I have to say, uh, you can't blame Nine for going down that track, Sarah. The show was a basket case. It wasn't working. Uh, the idea of Andy in the morning, it was dip- it was a different idea. It was. Um, and I, I, I thought he was very diplomatic in his answer of yes, no. Oh, you know, it was like he, he did a good job of evading the question there. Um, but uh, it, it could have been interesting, although I am always glad that they brought Carl back. Oh, me too. Me three. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron's gone quiet. Uh, (laughs) I was just thinking, that's our man to uh, replace uh, Chris Allman. Andy Lee to replace Chris Allman. Or Carl Stefanovic. Although, uh, seriously, Carl works where he is. And the Today Show is firing. I think they've missed a trick this year, though. The simple fact is, Sherry Lee was... A breath of fresh air as the weather presenter in the morning. And, Aaron, I've got to say, I I think they would have been smart to move Tim into news, have Alex do sport, and let people wake up with Sherry Lee in the morning on location. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's great. And she's obviously from, from Perth. I've seen her on Nine News here, and she's, she's awesome. She would be a, a loss to the Perth team. Um, 
But because I uh, with, with with Andy, I, I just you would know more than me. How versatile is Andy Lee? I mean, I just can't see him doing election stuff and sex discrimination in Parliament and fires and flood. Is he actually quite versatile? Like, you're, but you're looking at the role in a traditional way. So even I don't know what they were thinking, but let's just say they decided <laughs> to keep Deb in the chair, right? Yeah. And have Andy as her foible. So she can deliver your serious news and he can do some interviews, but he can provide a lighter tone. And, and he, we don't even know if he was the main host. We don't know if he was like the, the Peter Hellier role on the project. We, we don't know what they yeah. were thinking here. Um, but the guy is versatile. He literally runs the hundred. Uh, I've heard stories from the set where... He is the one making those decisions on how that show gets put together. He's very involved in the production process. He's got a very smart brain about him. I think he is the kind of guy that could literally do anything he puts his mind to. Yeah, yeah I think his stick is just the comedy thing. Yeah. I, think, I think he would have been a disaster on the Today Show, so I'm, I'm probably Robinson Crusoe here, but... Uh, no, I, I haven't got a view on whether it would have been good or bad. I was talking about the idea of him being there. I think you might be right. Well, look, let, let me qualify it. I think he would have been a disaster teamed with either Deb or Georgie, particularly yeah. Georgie. That would have been excruciating to watch. Um, I think he could have worked with someone like Alison Langdon. He would always need someone that, that has that respect in a, on a news level. And I'm not saying Georgie and Deb don't, but... They didn't work with each other, so I can't see them necessarily working with someone else either. But it could have been like the opposite of like a Regis and Kelly thing or a Kelly with any of the iterations she's been with where you've got one that's serious and one yeah. that's, you know, funny. And they, they sometimes they actually work really well together. And, and Philip, you mentioned Ali. I, I've got to say, I think the pairing of her and Carl together, it's the best breakfast pairing since Mel and Koshy. And, and I by the way, I say that with no disrespect to the people that came after Mel, but that was the game changer that brought Sunrise to number one. And I think Sam did a great job with Koshi. Nat does a great job with Koshi. But Alison and Carl, there was a great moment uh, on Wednesday morning where Carl did a silly dance moving across the set to go and do an interview, and the guy's a bit unfit. And he actually was panting, <laughs> trying to do the intro, and he said, Ali, you're going to have to take over. And she literally had to get up off the couch and come over and take over and do the interview. And then they ended up doing it together. And what I loved about that moment was because it wasn't two presenters fighting over who gets what line, how many intros they get, and who gets to do the interview. It was a genuine moment of, you're my friend, help me. You know, I'm a bit puffed, I could get through it, but bloody, I don't care. And those two have that relationship where I don't think, I don't feel as a viewer, and I could be wrong, I certainly haven't heard any scuttlebutt, but I, watching them as a viewer, I don't get the feeling they're fighting over who's got the most desk space, who's got the bigger dressing room, who's got the most lines. It's just a, a working relationship that works, Phil. I'm not sure Carl works without Ali, and I'm not sure Ali mm. works without Carl on that show. Yep. And they've tried, they've had other experiments and they've been disasters. So. 100%. Alright, to the ratings race, and we are now in the first official week of the 2022 ratings! The Winter Olympics is delivering consistently in the mid-500,000s for seven, and coupled with the news, is placing them first 
in both primary and network rankings. Numbers continue to build for Married at First Sight on 9, reaching its best for the season on Monday with 982,000. And it's a consistent lift when you add in the BBOD numbers, and that's by over 50%, with most episodes reaching 1.8 million viewers. Survivor continues to struggle on 10, hitting around the half a million mark in overnight figures. However, when we include the percentage lifts in BVOD, that bumps it up to between 900,000 and a low million. 10 slipped into fourth place behind the ABC on Sunday and Monday night. The biggest show on earth right now is Mustard Dogs and Vera also on Sunday night on the ABC both outperformed the Sunday Project and Australian Survivor but they also had the highest lifts on BVOD both reaching over a million viewers on Total TV extraordinary. Aaron all the numbers were pretty low last week I, I seem to remember a night where nothing got over a million uh, but maths is certainly picking up steam especially on catch up yeah, I think more than ever we need to look more holistically at ratings than just the shares in the top 20. I mean, uh, you mentioned Married at First Sight. If you had have looked at the ratings overnight, you would have gone, oh, geez, that's down, isn't it? Um, on previous, probably the last two or three years. But when you look at the total TV ratings, they're now creeping on 2 million viewers a week. I mean, that's huge. So more and more Australians are not watching television live, obviously outside of news and sport. So I think that's quite important. Um, I guess other points, a while back I spoke about 10 share each night. They're a bit deceptive because they can be competitive in certain slots, but then in other slots they can, you know, that they are real poor and they can pull down the whole night. If you look at 9 and 7 shares this week during the Olympics, 9 is getting like 900,000 for maths and 100 is doing really well. Uh, Labria did really well on, on Monday night as well, but 7 is still winning primary and network. Why is that? And that's because when it comes to 10 p.m., 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, there's about 80,000 viewers watching stuff on nine, you know, just the, the late night repeats and stuff. But there's still half a million uh, viewers watching the Olympics, you know, right up until midnight. And these shares do take into account 6 p.m. to midnight. Mm. So that's why seven's in front, even though you see the, the results for... Um, the Olympics being 500,000, for example, and maths 900,000, yet nine are losing. And, th and that's well, the reason why. Aaron, every time I talk about late night on TV here, it's this. That's me banging my head up against the brick wall because there's an audience there at late night and I just wish a network would bring back some kind of late night show, live show. Whether Chances. <laughs> Pacific Drive. Well, there was naked news. I was thinking news-based variety, but, you know, whatever floats your boat. Um, so no real surprises, though, was there, Aaron. The Olympics are consistent, as you said, getting overall ratings. Maths is doing well. Um, Survivor was the one 10 took a chance on pitting it up against uh, Maths and, and, and Olympics. And that, am I misreading the room, that hasn't really paid off? I sort of have a strange opinion about Survivor. Even back in the day when I was editing a TV guide, the people that watch Survivor will always watch Survivor and they love yeah. it and they would never switch the channel. I think it's quite hard, other than quite a young demographic, to get people who haven't watched it to watch it. I, mm. it, it was a, it, when you're doing, putting a TV guide together and you're trying to appeal to everyone, it was a really difficult show to work with because... The fans are incredibly passionate, 
but the people that don't watch it would never flick over for five minutes, you know? They, they when, when you say you were putting together the TV guide, do you mean what you made the highlights and what you gave the um, descriptions to? To some degree. I suppose the biggest competition was all, always who was going to be on the cover. <laughs> and, you know, you would be lobbied quite heavily by all the networks. Um, How many gifts you must have got over the years? <laughs> I only ever went on one LA New York trip. I had to, oh my god, a travesty! Oh, it was it, well, Richard Clune, who worked with me at the, at the time and now does the Rob Report. I think he did about seven overseas trips in one year. So <laughs> it was definitely a case of you didn't want to be the boss on that that particular publication. <laughs> All right, a new reality format is on its way to our screens for Q4 with Channel 10 this year, as first revealed by our very own Aaron Ryan on TV Blackbox. Endemol Shine Australia has begun casting for. The Traitors. It is an original Dutch format, but it has been commissioned for a UK, US and now Australian version. Contestants work as a team in a castle in the Scottish Highlands to complete missions and earn money for the prize pot. However, three of the contestants are secretly traitors, who the loyal players must try to unmask before the end of the game. Aaron, tell me a bit more about this. This was your big exclusive. Tell me what you know. Well, except that we were talking about a, um, Channel 10, we're talking about a big quarter four secret yep. show. So this is this is it. It does sound a lot like The Mole, that which which we might remember from being on That's Channel 7. That's what I was just it's thinking. It's like Celebrity Apprentice and The Mole, like, joined together. Yeah, and it does actually sound quite exciting. It's bold. Um, and we've been having a go at 10, you know, like with The Bachelor, and we're just going round and round, and we just say, you know, there has to be some new formats out there. There has to be something. And Channel 10 are going for it. They've got The Hunted Australia and now um, The Traders, um, and they're putting that at the end of the year. So normally 10 taper off at the end of the year. They're putting that, putting that there, and hopefully that does really well for them. And I really applaud Channel 10 for... Doing something different. This is what we've asked from them. Well, Philip, there's no doubt Ten are building up a war chest because I keep hearing scuttlebutt that they're looking to bump Bachelor. Well, Bachelor's performed pretty badly for them for a number of years now. And, mm. you know, you, you don't you don't see the sort of publicity in, in women's magazines about Bachelor because, quite frankly, it, it turns off as many readers as it turns on. Uh, so that's always a good indicator, isn't it? I mean... What you see in the mags is always a good indicator because the mags are designed to drive sales. So it's a good indicator of what is basically getting people to pick up the magazine at the checkout by who's on the cover. And if you're not seeing The Bachelor, that's a good indicator that it's not getting to... Those those viewers who are also readers are not watching the show. Uh, yeah, it certainly is. It can be a bit of a bellwether thing, you know, Um I've dealt with several major celebrities that were a bit sniffy about being on the cover of a women's magazine, and I pointed out to them, you know, as as much as they might sneer, it, it's probably going to open quite a few doors because, yeah. you know, commercial entities will look at it and think, well, they wouldn't have been on that cover if they didn't think they could sell. You know, it has a, you know, very, obviously a very female-skewed demographic, all those magazines. Uh, and and that's the demo that most of these commercial entities want. Um, yeah, look, I think it's great that Channel 10 is willing to take risks. And, um, very few other people in, in Australian TV are doing so, and I think that's why we've got quite a bland sort of TV landscape at the moment. Yeah. You know, it seems to be all news-driven. I know personally the vast bulk of my viewing is either done 
on catch up or um, streaming. Uh, you know, and you mentioned mustard dogs. I've, I've, I've got a Kelpie pup sitting next to me on the lounge, so it's definitely something I want to look. But that's the sort of show I'll binge, you know. Rainy day, mm. I'll spend the whole day looking at mustard dogs. Um, I personally love the idea of traders. I, I, the, my only concern is I know the US and the UK productions are being filmed in Scotland. There's been no mention of what happens with the Australian production. And for my, for my two cents worth, I needed to be in a Scottish castle. I think that adds a lot for me. I don't know why, but that sort of appeals to me. Feels big. Yeah, it feels big. And I don't know, there's all that history and drama. Mm. You know, you can think of Mary Queen of Scots, all the crazy stuff that's happened in Scotland over the years. Yeah, I think the Australian version is sending them to a Bunnings. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> could, be, could, could be a holiday house at the entrance. You never know. <laughs> Well, we'll get the latest Hatches and Dispatches next with Sarah. Plus, was the Cleo Smith interview worth $2 million? And we'll find out what everyone's been watching as we head into the binge box because this is TV Blood. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Bucks. And now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with me, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. The federal government has committed $4.2 billion of funding growth to the ABC and SBS over the next three years, with Minister Paul Fletcher declaring them both essential components of Australia's diverse media landscape. Colin Dimopoulos, executive head of streaming and television content at Optus, has announced his departure from the company. He has been in the role since 2017 and no replacement has yet been announced. Kylie Mascord has been appointed as Head of Development and Production at Pop Family Entertainment. She joins the production company from Ambience Entertainment. Rosie Batty will host the upcoming season of One Plus One, returning on February 24th. Included in the lineup of guests she will be sitting down with is Hannah Gatsby and Dr. Richard Harris. Hamish Blake and Zoe Foster Blake have been revealed as the first two names confirmed to the Australian Celebrity Gogglebox special. The special will kick off the first season of Gogglebox for the year and airs in early March. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, now it's time for the big issue. And it was the exclusive and expensive deal that Nine had high hopes for. But did it pay off? Tara Brown sat down via Zoom with the parents of abducted toddler Cleo Smith for 60 minutes, reportedly costing the network $2 million. Now, despite the noise made around the interview, it pulled in just 750,000 viewers on Sunday night, leaving it in fourth place behind 7 and 9 6pm news and Married at First Sight. Disclaimers, it was on at 9 o'clock. It wasn't fourth in the time slot. It was the fourth-ranked show of the night. Really important distinctions. Uh, and we've got to ask the question, 
this was part of their strategy, Phil, for 60 Minutes. They've obviously, uh, the mum was then on all the nine owned radio stations the morning after, 2GB, 4BC, 3AW, uh, 6PR, I assume, I'm not sure about 6PR. But the fact is, was this a good deal for nine? Um, typically all these big deals are never a good commercial deal. They don't pay off in terms of ratings. Uh, you, you can spend five hundred thousand dollars on a Hollywood wedding on a magazine. It'll never, it'll never shift five hundred thousand dollars worth of magazines. So it's never going to make your money back, and I don't think it. I think it rarely does in TV. It's a branding exercise as much as anything else. Obviously, all the radio stations and the other people involved would have all tipped in from their budget, so it would have been spread across the company in that way. I think 60 Minutes has been struggling. We all know their budgets have been slashed. It's not just the pandemic that's that stopped them travelling to all those glamorous places. It's also that they have a much smaller budget. So it's just, you know, look, I love 60 Minutes, but it has seemed a bit lacklustre. This time slot changes time and time again. It gets, gets more and more... Di- In my view, it's no longer a destination TV, and that's partly because they've shoved it into the world's worst time slot. And partly because it's just, it's not a big budget current affairs show anymore. Yeah. I I did find it interesting, Aaron, that they didn't take their time and either get Tara over to Perth and do the 14-day quarantine. They really did seem to rush the interview through. And if you didn't want to do that, Liam Bartlett, an ex-60 Minutes journalist, is right there. He works for Nine on, on 6PR. Why wouldn't you have got him to do? Because it's the kind of interview that felt the reporter needed to be sitting there with them. Yeah, that's been in the media a lot about Liam Bartlett. Obviously, he's over here in Perth. He possibly could have done it. Um, look, the, the reason I don't think it was probably worth the $2 million is just because of the content. Um, obviously, being from WA, I have been obviously following this case and know all about it. it was in the news every night there was just no new revelations or nothing new to what we'd already seen on the news before there wasn't anything there were revelations i think there were some interesting points and revelations that were made to be honest hmm. yeah i mean maybe from a point of view from being over there i mean i watched it and and you know i was been following this every night on the news i mean it was just huge every angle we had breaking coverage and stuff i didn't hear anything that i that i really thought i haven't heard before um 750,000 viewers 2 million i mean i um, I just think that, you know, if you're going to spend $2 million, you'd really want some big wow moments. I could give them a lot more for $2 million. That's yeah, for but sure. you don't know that when you're doing the deal. And, and, and let's be honest, it got to $2 million or $2.5 million, whatever it was. We don't know the final figure because Seven were bidding for it too. So Seven obviously thought it was a deal. Now, Seven reached a point where they went, nah, the investment is not worth it. But Nine went, we're going to use it. Philip... I agree with you. Good branding for 60 Minutes. There's been extra um, elements with the breakfast radio interviews and possibly a miniseries. But one thing I want to touch on, this bitching and moaning from apparently insiders at nine about the network. Oh, they're cutting back on everything, but they can find $2 million. (laughs) Yeah, because that's why you cut back on everything. So you can, when there's a big story, pay for it to drive the overall ratings for your network, grow your audience, deliver advertising, which will help keep your job secure. Don't be whiny little bitches. (laughs) Like, seriously. That's still 
stupid money. The though. simple fact is, this is how commercial current affairs works, and if this if this worries your precious little uh, mum beams, go to the ABC where they won't pay for an interview, or Channel 10 who can't afford to pay for an interview. The simple fact is, this is what happens. The only reason you know about it is it because it was a disproportionately bigger fee than normal. But there are budgets set aside for this stuff. A current affair pays for interviews, 60 Minutes pays for interviews. I'll tell you a little secret. Nine News, Seven News, they also pay for interviews. Nobody at Seven or Nine ever paid me for an interview. Well, you, well not the news. You need me as your manager. A current affair did. But <laughs> the simple fact is, this is what happens. And just because they spent $2 million on this does not mean that was going to go back into more staff or a program. I mean, this bullshit. They could have funded a program. Well, there's not many shows you can build for $2 million just quietly. A reality TV show in prime time for a six to eight week run costs about $20 million. So your $2 million isn't going to go that far towards that. What show are you trying to build that's going to draw ratings and, and as much profile? Get your hands off it, people, and live with the reality of what television and the media is. Philip, I heard you wanted to jump oh, in. Oh, look, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all, um, but I definitely agree. It was insane not to do that interview over Zoom. If you're going to spend $2 million on an interview, mm. if you have to lock someone up into a five-star hotel room for two weeks, then do it, you know? just yeah. It's a big investment. I get what you're saying, that it wouldn't fund a TV show, but it's a massive amount of money to spend. So why oh, would no, no, don't get me wrong. Like that? Just... If you're going to spend $2 million, do it right. Do not do an interview via Zoom. Mm. Get the reporter over there and wait two weeks. This story did not need to go now. In fact, it would have been a stronger story if you had waited for the trial because the police would have cooperated. They said they would not cooperate because this was before the courts. Yeah. Or at the minimum, air it after the Olympics. So you could have waited two weeks anyway and not and had the Olympics coverage. And do a launch then. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and I didn't get a tenth of what this <laughs> family got. And power to them that they got Absolutely. that money. But, uh, like, a current affair spread the money out and they probably did end up spending that much between everybody and flying people to the US and back. But they flew me and my husband to Australia and we waited because we didn't know how long the verdict would be. Mm. They flew me out for the verdict and it ended up taking two weeks, mm. you know. So I'm sure they did end up spending a ton of money on a hotel, but they were willing. And your minibar. Well, I didn't really. Well, I did drink a lot. But, uh, the, but they. That's they, not a no. All power to you, Sarah. I wasn't allowed out of the hotel room because they didn't want people seeing me. Um, but. But they they spent, I feel they spent that a little more wisely than just doing a Zoom call because they had, you know, lots of cast members that they were flying in and it was spread out over. And that story ran for weeks and weeks and weeks. It wasn't a, you know, a one shot and you're done on Zoom. Yeah, the the Zoom was the biggest mistake in this whole thing because I feel like they got a lesser product because of it. But everything else I got no problems with. The only other thing I would say is... There was something slightly... And, look, I come from a checkbook journalism background or at least for the last 10 years. I don't know. There was something slightly uncomfortable about $2 million and a young child that was abducted that I'm not saying the family don't deserve the money. It just... I don't know. I found it a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest. And I I think other people did as well. I, I never understand this. If they gave their interview for free to someone, nine, seven, whoever, right? That company 
gets all the publicity that goes around it. They get, you know, think about a marketing campaign, right? So you want to market a show, you're easily up for $1.52 million just on marketing if you want to take out billboards and, and TV spots and, and things like that. And, and that's a very modest marketing budget for, for a product, right? So the simple fact here is that these people giving their story to anyone are giving them a commercial advantage, The station airing that interview gets publicity, it gets hopefully ratings and advertising that goes along with that. In my head, I cannot understand the issue with them getting a cut of that money. And $2 million to this family is life-changing. They've been through the shit, why shouldn't they get some reward? I, I don't understand the issue here whatsoever. And as far as I'm concerned, commercial entities absolutely should be paying for these interviews, because they are getting an advantage from them. I do. I, look, I do agree with that, but I don't know. When there's a young child involved, it just, I don't know, it does make a lot of people uncomfortable. And, you know... Yeah, well, I would have asked for half a million back because I didn't get an interview with the kid. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be the headline on the Daily Mail. <laughs> All right, now it's time to find out what everyone's been watching as we open the binge box. All right, Sarah, shall we sit back and relax because you have been on the box? Yes, so I'll run through everything else very quickly. Uh, We watched all of Breaking Bad because we moved to the ranch to a Winnebago and it looks just like a meth lab. Um, (laughs) uh, We watched Afterlife 3, which um, have your tissues because Ricky Gervais always manages to make the saddest comedies on earth. Uh, Um, Sorry, can I cut in? Because I watched Afterlife 3 and I think anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Ricky Gervais fan. This series seemed try-hard, drawn out, and I just didn't work for me. We were just confused at the end. Anyway, so then we watched Being the Ricardos, um, and I think Nicole Kidman did an excellent job, and I don't know why everyone was bitching that it needed to be Deborah Messing, because Nicole Kidman was fabulous. Nicole Kidman owned that role, completely agree. It was great. Mm. Um, And then the in-laws, surprisingly, were watching Reacher, um, and the guy in that is much lovelier than Tom Cruise. So get yourself a nice tall, tall glass of cool milk with that one. Um, and then um, the big one. You need the smelling salts. You look like you're about to. Fa- oh, my word. You've got the fan out, lovely. Sarah, fanning he yourself was, down. He was, he was, he, I haven't seen someone on TV in a long time that looked like that. And it was very nice. Um, You've gone red. Yes, well, that's probably also the COVID shot. Um, and then let's talk about Cosby. Um, so that was on Paramount Plus, um, and uh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I binged the whole thing. Um, and, of course, the parallels, like, before the whole Hey Dad thing came out and before Cosby thing came out and people knew I was an actress in the U.S. and I had to explain you know, that I was an actress on a TV show and I would always say it was kind of like the Cosby show. Mm. And then it turned out it really was like the Cosby show Um, because they were both about, you know, the country's dads um, who ended up going to prison for being really horrible people. But the way they made the show in the four parts, and it's interesting because they filmed the whole thing um, as, like, 
an experience. And then as they were literally filming the last scenes, Cosby was released from prison on a technicality. Um, so it was kind of almost open-ended, but they did like a little explanation. But the, um, the way they handled it, uh, was absolutely, and it had to be very hard because it was a show about the black experience because Cosby had changed so much in the industry. He was the first person to create, you know, black stuntmen, and um, he was the first black Fat leading Albert, man all about on a television show. Black kids, you know, yeah. morals and, it was, and, and so life it lessons. Was a, it was about how black people had to struggle with this, their hero, their person who had done everything, the person who had literally mm. changed television for them, turned out to be an absolute twat. And um, how do you reckon with that? And then there was this whole thing of, like, do we still celebrate him or do we recognize he was bad? And then the way that they also incorporated all of the victims and sometimes I watch shows where they talk about victims and it's like you are being victim shamed again and there was absolutely none of that they were so respectful to all of the women that he had assaulted and um it really was like if you're a survivor of sexual assault it will be a little jarring and you might want some tissues um but they handled it absolutely brilliantly and they show that cosby wasn't just and they talk about like he wasn't just black america's dad he was america's dad like yeah. everybody accepted him and then it, they showed like and they had sex therapists and they had psychologists and they talked about how he was they was it two people was there cosby that we knew and the cosby we didn't know and they came to the conclusion that the perfect narcissistic person created that position of power and authority and of being America's teacher specifically so he could do these other things you see a lot of people like clergymen and sports educators and like all these people who you know we found in the royal commission had purposely cultivated this air of untouchability and nobody will believe you because i am this pillar of the community i have yeah, this right. reverence i've created this you know absolute authority where nobody would ever believe you if you tell them that i did because i have this absolute absolute power and uh i i thought the best line is you know they like who is cosby now and one lady says he's a rapist who used to have a really big tv show <laughs> and but then there was all this stuff that just and personally watching it because so much of it just paralleled my own story with how like our robert stuff came out and you know then the media thing and then how the women were treated and so for me it was very personal but i think that other people will actually get a lot out of the show as well mm. no thanks for sharing that sarah it's it's an interesting one because you look at these artists who do this amazing work he has one of the funniest comedy albums of all time the cosby show was such uh, a phenomenon that we all watched growing up and the things he did beyond comprehension well, and it was fascinating because they went back and showed clips of how he dropped breadcrumbs of what he was doing the whole time oh geez it sounds fascinating i i do want to watch it i don't have paramount plus but i'm very very keen to see it uh big change of pace i'm assuming philip what have you been watching <laughs> well uh, I've, uh, I've started watching Trigger Point, um, which is the new Vicky McClure from Line of Duty. Uh, show. Oh. And it's amazing. Okay. She's a very strong actress. And if you like Line of Duty, if you like any of those gritty British crime shows, you'll really enjoy this. She plays a, um explosive expert who is put in 
life and death situations in each episode, uh, which I thought could be a bit cheesy, but it's just produced really, really well and uh, well worth a watch. And yes, to change the pace quite significantly, um, I've got hooked on Outback Opal Hunters, <laughs> which, which I'm sort of embarrassed about. But um, No, that sounds good. It is actually, that if you want to watch, okay, let's redefine reality TV because this is actual real people. They may be missing teeth. They may be missing digits. Um, and they have very dirty hands and they do a very dirty job and they go on treasure hunts every day. And there's just something it, it, it really sounds so great about to me. it. Yeah, I once went to um, uh, Cuba PD, uh, and I my my saying about that was it's a place where the men are men and so are the women. Uh, you know, <laughs> they're all tough there. Oh, it's a tough, hard life. I couldn't I couldn't even put up with the flies, but um, I do like to be a fly on the wall and watch it. Uh, oh, nicely done. <laughs> and then and then look, I've actually gone back and rewatched a show that a lot of people missed when it came out a few years ago, and I think it's now on Stan, and that's called Berlin Station, which is a espionage thing set in Berlin, but English language, um, with a lot of fantastic character actors in it, who I can't really name for you now, but you've all got Google. Um, uh, you've got these amazing character actors. It's a really great script. I recommended it about four years ago when it came out. No one watched it. You can catch the first three series on stand. Oh, fabulous stuff. Aaron, what have you been watching? I'm a little distracted at the moment. I'm watching uh, Reacher. Hmm. Sarah's right. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah's right. You are the worst. <laughs> I know I am. Um, I've been watching um, Euphoria. That's an excellent series. It's on binge. Um, been watching the Olympics. Great coverage on Seven. One of my top five shows of all time now is one a show that you've already mentioned that you said you don't like. I think Afterlife is brilliant. I, I've watched all three seasons twice now. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Ricky's not as good without Stephen Merchant. Yeah, I think he is. It's brilliant. Also, I've been watching uh, This Is Us, which is coming to 10 on Wednesday nights in a couple of weeks. It's the final season, and it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I've watched The 100 with Andy Lee, and Sophie Monk's brilliant. They invited her back for the first episode again. She should be on every episode. Yeah, I think so. Um, And the last one I've been watching is Australia Behind Bars. I mean, I mentioned that I was previously a a prison officer. Um, It's a good show, but it's funny. It's... That is the reality of some situations in prison, but it's not the reality of being in prison. It's like if you filmed your house and then just filmed the having dinner, then watching TV and checking your emails. Yes, that's correct, because that's what you do do at home. But day-to-day in a prison is a lot different to just to showing those, those little clips of one person's life here and there. But it, it, it's a good series. It's just a snippet of things that happen in prison, but don't think that that's the reality. As you would expect, it can only go so far. Yeah, it's not the reality of, of, of being in prison or, or, you know, the whole, from either a prison officer point of view or a prisoner. But, yeah, it, it's actually quite good. So um, over to you, Rob, because I want to get back to Reacher. All right, well, we are running out of time, so I'll wrap this sucker up pretty quickly. Um I've now gotten into Parks and Recreation, except I'm all out of order. I've ended up watching, like, an episode here, there, and the final episode because my daughter was watching it and has sort of drawn me in. It was never a show that appealed to me, but now I'm going to go back and watch it from the beginning. Uh, I'm always watching The Big Bang on high rotation, as we all know. That's my put-it-on-and-help-me-go-to-sleep one. Uh, There's a show on Netflix called Murderville. 
that has just popped up. And the, the concept is very good. The idea is that um, they have the guy from Arrested Development who also does Lego Batman, um, uh, who played Job. I can't remember his real name. <laughs> I'm having a mental blank. But anyway, he plays this detective, and the idea is a celebrity guest joins him as his trainee each week and oh, has yeah. to solve the clue on who got killed. But they don't do it like uh, we're setting this up pretend. They do it like it's a real TV, uh, a real fly-on-the-wall uh, reality show, but you know it's all set up. It's really weird, and there's moments where it really breaks, and Conan O'Brien's in the first one, and I can't, I haven't, I can't say I'm fully sold yet. I, I might watch a bit more. I'm not completely there. Um, I've also been lucky enough to see um, season two of Upload, which is a show on Amazon Prime. And if you haven't seen season one, I really suggest going and seeing it. Look, it's not a ball buster of a show. It's a nice show and I really like it. And it's got some really great ideas. The idea of it is um, just as you're dying, you can upload your memories and everything about you to this virtual heaven. So you live on and you can still contact the real like world. Like the Matrix. Like the Matrix, yeah. But they know that they're in this artificial heaven and it, you basically, you get what you pay for. So if you can't afford much, you don't get much data and you end up uh, freezing for the rest of the month once your data runs out. Um, <laughs> but if you do have money, you can order all these add-ons and all these kind of things. But there's a whole murder mystery behind it and there's this a few other storylines. It's really, really good, and Series 2 is going in some really interesting directions. Uh, I think it comes out in March, I want to say, but it's really, really good and really worth a look-see. And other than that, it's just the usual stuff that I always watch, although I am introducing my kids to the It crowd. Uh, my two youngest ones, the other night, we were, we were having big arguments over what to watch, and I said, right, that's it, let's watch the It crowd. They're like, we don't want to watch it, it looks boring. Straight away, my youngest one was in because Moss is on some rabbit and cabbage or some show. I don't know what it's called, but he does the voice on Apple and Apple and Apple and cabbage or something. Anyway, he does the voice, so she was in from there. And my other daughter loves great physical comedy, which it's got. So yes, the It Crowd. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's TV Black Box. Don't forget for all the latest breaking news, like today when we revealed Channel 10's big new show, you'll find it at tvblackbox.com.au. It's where people in the industry go to find out what's happening. Philip Kosh, it's been so great. Will you come back next week, Phil? Uh, I'd love to. I'd be honoured to. Thanks, Rob. Fantastic. Malk, and, uh, Malk should be back next week, and maybe even Robbo, or is he maybe another week away? Sarah Monaghan, go and get some sleep. It's four o'clock in the morning, dear girl. Yes, and I feel that shot kicking in. <laughs> and Ryan, thank you for being in from Perth. Thank you. Time for Reacher. Indeed. Abby Nicholson, thank you for producing and editing this show. We appreciate your hard work. I'm Rob McKnight. We'll see you next week. And don't forget, it's good night from McKnight. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.